This is White Sox Weekly, your all-access pass to everything White Sox. Swing and a drive! Deep left! Gone! That was as hard as a baseball can be hit. Swing and a base hit to left, and the White Sox win it! Now here's your host, Connor McKnight. Welcome in to White Sox Weekly, the final White Sox Weekly of 2023. Hope everybody's been having a good holiday season and a happy new year to all of you this weekend. There is a lot to get to on the show this afternoon. We've got some breaking baseball news to get to. Doesn't uh, doesn't exactly impact the White Sox, but it involves an old White Sox friend and, of course, every move that involves the starting pitching market and Chris Sale to the Braves certainly does. Well, that does actually concern the White Sox. You can give the gift of White Sox baseball with a holiday flex pack. Purchase six vouchers starting at four or upgrade to 10 vouchers starting at only 70 bucks. This upgrade offer is $100 off the regular price and only available through the holidays. Learn more at whitesox.com slash holiday packs. The hot stove is hot. Chris Sale, just like, I don't know, half an hour ago, it was uh, announced by both teams and broken by ESPN's Jeff Passan. Chris Sale is headed to the Braves, the Atlanta Braves, pick up the former White Sox and now former Red Sox lefty Chris Sale. Vaughn Grissom, uh, an infielder who had a very good rookie season and struggled quite a bit last year. Second baseman mostly, and you figure that's where he fits with the Red Sox, is the guy going back to Boston. The Red Sox will also send $17 million to the Braves to help cover the 27 and a half left on the 2024 season salary for Chris Sale. That's the big news this afternoon, though there are a whole bunch of White Sox headlines just over the last week. They have been active in the free agent market. A couple of players have been signed to the club since we last talked last Saturday. Just last night, Chris Flexen, a pitcher, was signed to a one-year deal. Martin Maldonado is on board. He'll join the catching duo, I would imagine, of, of Maldonado and Max Stassi, and to some degree Corey Lee, who caught a lot last year in his rookie season. Uh, and also Tim Hill, a lefty reliever, uh, is now on the roster, a new signee by the White Sox as well. We'll get into each one of those players and those signings, some other news and notes from around baseball, and maybe even a little Hall of Fame talk this afternoon as well. The phone number, as always, 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. You want to talk about any one of these signings um, or maybe moves yet to be done by the White Sox, Flexen, Maldonado, Tim Hill, uh, you let me know, and we'll talk whatever White Sox you like. Baseball conversation, welcome on the show, too. It's yours as much as anybody else's. Now, what I want to start here with is the latest note, although – between Chris Flexen and Tim Hill, the reliever, and Martin Maldonado, it may well be that the most, the guy with the most impact on the 26-man roster could be Maldonado, but he signed almost a week ago now, um, and I think you've had some time to digest what Martin Maldonado means on this White Sox roster, so we'll bump him to the second segment. Nothing against Martin, looking forward to meeting the guy, but this pitching situation, especially with the news of Chris Sale going to Atlanta, is 
really interesting to me. We've got some quotes from White Sox manager Pedro Grafal, who spoke with Daryl Van Scowen of the Chicago Sun-Times as well, uh, that kind of fit into this whole pitching situation. With the addition of Chris Flexen, and if you're not familiar with Flexen, uh, came up with the Mariners, spent last year with the Rockies. Things did not go well for him in 2023. So to a, or, or in a large degree, this is another kind of uh, rebound pickup by the White Sox. He was um, six foot three, right hander, uh, drafted by the Mets and broke in um, with the Mets. I should say, kind of most known with the with the Mariners. I kind of spaced on the uh, the Mets break in kind of thing. Um, but Flexen is a guy, and I find this interesting too, or at least the way I'm looking at White Sox pitching ads is a little bit different now with Brian Bannister in the fold in the White Sox front office. Whether these are you know, reclamation projects or rebuild kind of players or flyers on guys to rebound, however you want to term it, you know, when you see some different stuff uh, in and around Major League Baseball when you're talking about pitchers who have established themselves in the big leagues but still looking to kind of make that next leap or get back to where they were, if Flexen's going to be 29 in the 2024 season. Last year, he threw 60 and a third innings for the Rockies. 12 starts, a tough place to pitch. And like I said, it did not go well. The ERA plus uh, was a mere 81, meaning he was much worse with the Rockies. He did start the year with the Mariners, uh, much worse than the league average. Things with the Mariners were not good either. And Flexen was, you know, for a time here, you look back to, 2021 and even 2022 a pretty reliable or at least dependable member of that Mariners starting rotation in his age 26 and age 27 season so Flexen comes on as a guy that could probably start a whole bunch of games for you or could throw out of the bullpen as a kind of hybrid uh, bullpen start long reliever kind of guy gives you some options there as well Flexen primarily, at least last year, fastball, cutter, change, slider, and some other breaking stuff as well. Uh, and the task will be to get Flexen back to that look in 2021 by the White Sox. What's the well, one of the issues that have really kind of attacked Flexen um, when he's his first three seasons with the Mariners, he didn't pitch in 2020. Um, uh, first three seasons with the Mets, pardon, was the walk rate. He was able to cut that down to a pretty manageable two walks per nine, three walks per nine in two seasons with the Mariners. Last year, though, that total walks per nine had really jumped on him to like three and a half, almost four at times, especially when he's pitching for Seattle. Um, so being able to harness that is going to be huge for Flexen and for the White Sox and for whatever their plans for him are, right? I mean, you're looking to get to something that's going to get, I don't know, a few more strikeouts, a few more walks, or a few fewer walks and keep the ball on the ground. At least that's kind of the way I look uh, at um, at Flexen's repertoire overall. You know, that cutter's going to work down, and that uh, slider should work well, too. He's never been a very high strikeout guy, so that command and control, pretty important for Chris Flexen, the new right-hander for the White Sox. One of the things, and this is from Daryl Van Scowen's piece in the Sun-Times, that came out, uh, I think it was this morning, if not last night, kind of one of those tweener pieces. It did cover the Flexen signing, and it had a couple of quotes from White Sox manager Pedro Gafal. 
He said, we broke training camp with six starters last year, only one for depth. This year, with all those kids finishing up at AAA and the trades at the deadline last year, we're looking at 11, 12, maybe 14 starters deep who have the capability of pitching in the big leagues this year if we need it. As far as the depth for starting pitching, I'm really happy Griffol continued, and we're not done by any means. I'm okay with where we're at. So... Here's the list of of White Sox potential starters next year. And you tell me what this, I mean, listen, the amount of depth the White Sox have to take the ball and start games is exponentially, well, I guess double what it was last year. I mean, Pedro's not joking. There was the starting five and then essentially one more. Davis Martin was never really able to get healthy. Sean Burke came out of camp looking like the guy that was going to be the number six man in the rotation, but he got off to a tough start, also did not have a healthy 2023, and uh, and it was anybody but those two that ended up making a whole lot of starts for the White Sox, especially after the trade deadline moved all the pitching that it did. So at the top of the rotation, at least right now, is Dylan Cease. After that, Eric Fetty signed from the KBO last year. Michael Kopech and the plans for Kopech are, I suppose, still to be in that starting rotation. That's how Pedro Grafol said he viewed him and how the organization has kind of looked at things um, from the end of last season and so far through this winter. Tuki Toussaint, Jared Schuster, and Mike Soroka, those two picked up from the Braves, and Soroka certainly got a, you know, a high ceiling if he can get back to what he was in 2019, but he's looking to rebound from injuries. Davis Martin should be back from the Tommy John surgery at some point relatively early next year, maybe even as early as to make the opening day roster. We'll see. Probably not. Nick Nostrini, one of the top arms in the system, picked up from the Dodgers. You've got Jesse Schultons, who made starts last year. Jake Eater, the guy picked up for the from the Mariners, pardon, Marlins in the Jake Berger deal. Shane Drohan's a pickup from the Red Sox, a Rule 5 draft pick. So that's a guy, Shane Drohan, who will have to be on the roster all season for the White Sox. Otherwise, he has to be offered back to the Red Sox. Remember, that's the Rule 5 caveat. That's how that works. Drohan, it sounds like, could be a guy that takes the start, uh, a, you know, maybe a couple of starts in the year, but pitches primarily out of the bullpen. Maybe a long guy mix there. And then Chris Flexen. And then what I find interesting here, too, is that Van Scowen kind of wonders about Jimmy Lambert and Garrett Crochet potentially getting back into the rotation. It'll be a very interesting spring training for both. Lambert struggled with an ankle injury at times last year that cost him some velocity that, um, you know, I mean, when you get ankle injuries, those tend to kind of ripple up the kinetic chain and you're trying to adjust for things here or there. An ankle injury, especially for a pitcher, can often lead to, you know, other things kind of going wrong, a knee, a shoulder, or whatever, as you're trying to, you know, make up for that sore ankle. Uh, you know, and then Garrett Crochet, who who worked his way back last year from Tommy John surgery, caught a couple of shoulder issues along the way, but did pitch, and that's a big step in the right direction, has always been talked about, at least by the former White Sox front office, which does, you know, did rather include Chris Getz in, in many ways, 
um, but was talked about by this White Sox front office as a guy who could be in that starting rotation. For a lot of reasons, you know, the clock has kind of gone uh, weirdly with Garrett Crochet in terms of his major league service time and availability to start ball games, but it could be that with all this depth that I've just read to you here, right, Cease, Fetty, Kopech, Toussaint, Schuster, Soroka, Martin, Nestrini perhaps, Schultons, Flexen, you've got a lot of guys that you can run through here in the rotation and take starts as you look to perhaps build and figure out what works what works right, uh, who's pitching well, you know, kind of balance that schedule for you and build some of that depth to get Crochet stretched out, if that's still something the White Sox front office believes in being a long-term solution in the rotation. And then Kai Bush and Jonathan Cannon, two prospects Bush picked up from the Angels and Cannon, a White Sox draft pick. They're usually ranked like 9, 10, 11, 10, 11, 12, um, somewhere in those spots in the White Sox system rankings, depending on where you look. And you would figure that those two are probably the farthest off in terms of level and furthest away in terms of date um, for making their major league debut. But who knows? I mean, Bush was picked up by the Angels with the thought that that's an advanced left-handed arm that can make um, you know a big jump in 2024. And Cannon's pitched really well last year, too. So that's kind of the state of the White Sox pitching here in a nutshell. And in the second segment of the show, I'm going to talk about one of the guys that's going to shepherd all of those pitchers um, through the 2024 season and, and hopefully bring um, what a veteran catcher can bring to a inexperienced rotation. And a lot of those names I read to you, with the exception of, of Cease, and Kopech and Fetty, perhaps, are guys that are really looking to reestablish themselves in the bigs. I guess you could take Mike Soroka and put him in that category as well. The dude's been there. Um, he's done that. He's bouncing back from injury and uh, kind of has that veteran status differently than uh, Jared Schuster does or Nick Nestrini would or Davis Martin does in the White Sox rotation in 2024. Either way... It's going to be on Martin Maldonado and Max Stassi and the rest of the pitching infrastructure to get that rotation, however many it includes, to pitching as well as it can and, and really improving in 2024. It has become you know, more and more apparent that the, the regroup for the White Sox or a regroup for the White Sox is kind of the direction here with some of the signings that they've made and the trades that they've made. And we'll see. You know, it may well be and maybe that's where we'll start next after the break, is is what this deal by the Red Sox and Braves that moves Chris Sale south to Atlanta and Von Grissom north to Boston may mean for a team like the White Sox that is still looking perhaps to trade a top-tier starting pitcher in Dylan Cease. Those rumors have been around since well before the GM meetings. There hasn't been a lot of movement yet, not a lot of reporting on it yet, though there was one note in the Cincinnati Inquirer we'll get to that I think you might find interesting regarding a potential Dylan Cease deal. So let's relocate some of the biggest news in baseball. Chris Sale to the Boston uh, to the Atlanta Braves with a White Sox perspective here. We'll talk about how that may affect the Chris Sale market when we come back. It's White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Twitter at ESPN1000. Welcome to White Sox Weekly on ESPN1000. 1000. 1000. Whoa. 
Welcome back. It's White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. Sox fans, the 2024 ticket plans are available right now, so be here for the biggest matchups and exciting new promotions throughout the season, including opening day on March 28th. Our ticket plans include great benefits, such as a ticket exchange program, special events, savings on single games, and more. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash 2024. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. Been talking about the White Sox pitching depth here in the first portion of the show. Some big pitching news as Chris Sale has been traded by the Red Sox to the Atlanta Braves in return for Vaughn Grissom. I'm seeing a lot of really interesting thoughts going on on Twitter from uh, smart baseball folk like Michael Bauman and Eno Saris just kind of about this particular trade. And I think there are some parallels to how the Braves are building their rotation and how the White Sox are accumulating a good number of starters here. But first, to kind of locate this in a, in a Dylan Cease conversation, who happens to be trending on my Twitter right now, I don't think... Hey, uh, Jack, we've uh, Jack, our, our producer here on the other side. Uh, Jack, we haven't seen a Dylan Cease trade note or anything here, right? I mean, I'm a little worried that Dylan Cease is trending on Twitter, and I'm hoping it's just a whole bunch of White Sox fans talking about what the uh, sale trade means for a potential Dylan Cease, right? No, no breaking news? I, I have not one. seen anything yet. I'll keep an eye out, though. All right. After, after two weeks ago when Shohei Otani signed right in the middle of the show, I'm a, I'm a little nervous, you know? I kind of think we, we sign on and things happen now, and, and that's going to be the way it goes in 2024. We're on our toes. So what I think here, too, and, and just to get back to some of the thoughts of, of smart baseball folk here, one of the things been thrown around is kind of Chris Sale's struggles in 2023. He was very good against most teams he faced. He had an elevated ERA, I think something north of 10 in four or five starts against the Baltimore Orioles. He's been injured quite a bit, age 34, age 35 season. And if you look up and down the Braves rotation, it contains a lot of really interesting names, right? Spencer Strider and Blake Elder and now Chris Sale and Charlie Morton, right? All these dudes who are impressive when they start, and with the, expen- with the exception of Spencer Strider, um, don't really take the ball 30 times in a season, maybe even 25, kind of spitballing here, but they are tough when they hit the playoffs. This conversation happened a little bit when the Dodgers gave the extension to Tyler Glass now that they did after trading for him from the Tampa Bay Rays, these teams, the Dodgers and Braves, are almost assuredly going to make the playoffs next year. And some of these moves that they've made, Glass now and Sale, you know, Michael Bauman's writing about this on Twitter, Eno Saris has done the same, some of these moves are, are more to make them dangerous in the playoffs. Bauman writes, the, the Braves don't need a Dern thing out of sale in the regular season. They need her to hang in there against Aaron Nola for five or six innings in game three of the NLDS in Philadelphia. That these teams are adding pitching that may well be hurt through the regular season, but because the rest of their roster, I think for the most part with the Dodgers and Braves, is so solid that they can just count on getting some of these older pitchers healthy by the time the playoffs roll around and you know looking at five six good innings in one or maybe even just two games in the early couple rounds of the playoffs world series comes around and that throws out the rest of the plan you you go with who's healthy who's there and who's pitching well of course so i find that interesting and i think when you kind of take that philosophy right that idea 
of having some of those dudes just ready and available for you to make the playoffs. It's kind of clear that the Boston Red Sox are getting themselves back together to push for a playoff spot in a very tough AL East. They were in there in a lot of conversations around Yamamoto and even Shohei Otani for a little bit, as we heard. Obviously, they ended up getting either one of them, uh, but still are putting together a roster, at least offensively, that looks pretty interesting to me. They were late in the season when the White Sox went to Boston and played those Red Sox. They just signed Lucas Giolito yesterday. Lucas gets a two-year deal with an opt-out after next season from the Red Sox. Something like $35, $38 million for Giolito over the two years. So congratulations to him. Um, You know, one of the better guys I've covered in that clubhouse, a really fun guy to talk baseball with and and movies and TV, too. Um, He's super into that. Uh, But Lucas Giolito, now a member of that Boston Red Sox rotation, Chris Sale is not. So they, the Red Sox, kind of go Giolito, Pavetta, Brian Bayo, a, a very good young starter, Tanner Houck, Cutter Crawford, and then, you know, kind of some of their minor league depth. You wonder, at least I do, whether or not the Red Sox are a team that could jump back into the conversation, jump back into the rumors, asking around Dylan Cease. Now, the reason I point that out is is because, you know, even though you're seeing more and more teams or a handful of teams, like we just mentioned, kind of assemble talents that just need to be healthy by playoff time, the Red Sox might just need something different or might be going about their starting rotation construction a bit differently. Giolito's, you know, looking to have a rebound, right? Um, The Red Sox have a new front office there led by a guy, Craig Breslow, who was a reliever for the Red Sox for a while, was the director of pitching for the Chicago Cubs over the last couple of years, has a great reputation in terms of that, a lot like Brian Bannister does in the whole, um, let's find the guys that we can, you know, work back into shape here and get them tuned up to their prime. Giolito's one of those guys last year, especially after leaving the White Sox, did not go well for him so that's kind of a rebound guy still Giolito takes the ball I mean the guy makes starts he eats innings Cease does the same and typically at a pretty high level especially in 2022 no need to you know I mean White Sox fans you know that Uh, but he still took the ball 32 33 times last season and that's huge with the kind of you know reputation that that Red Sox front office has in reworking with pitching Cease fits both of those categories for them. They're looking to get him back to 2022 form and also looking perhaps it seems for guys that are going to be able to go to the post right to start 30 something times in a season and be healthy once the playoffs roll around if they're going to make a push in that AL East. I'm wondering about this particularly because there was a note or a, a couple of rumors, rather, that had the Red Sox perhaps looking for um, matches to pick up some of their extra outfield depth. And now that they're making moves, now that they have kind of their, their infield set, I, I would think, with Rafael Devers and Trevor Story, Vaughn Grissom, the guy they got for Chris Sale, uh, across the infield from left to right, now the extra outfielders that they've got may be the kind of depth that they can use in order to pick up starting pitching that they've now needed to pick up because Chris Sale is gone. Well, the White Sox would love some outfield depth. Sure, you've got Benintendi in left and Luis Robert Jr. in center, but in right field, 
You know, that depth chart consists of Oscar Colas and Gavin Sheets the way it did last season, at least to this point. There may be others that push for a spot there, but whether it's Wyler Abreu or Jaron Duran or Sidan Raffaella, who played a little bit infield and a little bit of outfield last year, and, and I thought had a really impressive series against the White Sox in Boston last season, it was just shortly after he'd been called up. I think he was like something, something like 20-something games into his season, maybe 30-something games. Um, all these guys are pretty athletic. All of these guys play defense fairly well, Duran and Rafaela especially well. Um, and Abreu kind of, you know, had some impressive moments at the plate too. So that's a match as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you know, a team that's got some surplus in an area the White Sox have some need, particularly corner outfield. And the White Sox, as it's been reported for weeks now, might be looking for a whole you know, plethora of prospects in return for a Dylan C. steal. There was a note to, I mentioned it earlier in the show, um, put out in the Cincinnati Inquirer uh, about the, the ask that the White Sox had when they talked to the Reds about Dylan Cease. Now, this is from the Cincinnati Inquirer. Jason Williams and um, and Gordon Whitmire kind of combined on this report uh, that the White Sox were looking for some of the big prospects in that Red system. Rhett Lauder and Chase Petty, two pitching prospects, plus Edwin Arroyo and Connor Phillips and maybe even one more prospect. That's five guys. For Dylan Cease, not the not the burger, not the Braves trade with Aaron Bummer, but five different players. Now, I think, and I talked about this some with Tom Waddle yesterday. I was filling in for Sylvie on the afternoon show. I think when you get to this point in conversations or in reporting, that you're probably likely to hear, you know, these reports and sources from the Reds about the high end ask from the White Sox it, it, when they got to talking about things. You know, most times in a negotiation, team comes to you. I like your player. What do you want for him? I might list everything you have. <laughs> you know, start with the best. Start with asking for the moon and then work back from there and see what you're able to get. And that may well be uh, the report here that we're seeing. The Chris Getz or the White Sox front office or you know, however you want to put it. Their ask for the moon with these five players, most of them in the top 10 in the Reds system. They've not made that move. In fact, Frankie Montas, it's been reported, is going to sign with the Reds uh, for, I think, a one-year deal. That news had just come out shortly before we prepped for the show, and then the Chris Sale thing happened. So my memory, apologies, is a little bit all over the place when it comes to exactly what uh, Frankie Montas is signing for. I'll click around and get you the details. But, you know, Montas was was oft injured um, after moving to the Yankees, and it's going to be a one-year $16 million contract pending a physical, and that physical is going to be important, of course. Um, but that, that does mean that the Reds have added into that rotation and probably have – you're counting on a bounce back from Montas, but probably have enough arms uh, to make it through. I don't know that I'd take them out of any kind of potential trade for Dylan Cease, if indeed that's where things are headed this winter. Uh, but the Montas move does, I think, move the Reds a little bit farther away from being a, I don't know, a, a team in contention really pushing 
um, to add that impact arm. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. When we come back, more signings by the White Sox. We'll talk about what Martin Maldonado means to this White Sox team in 2024. He's one of the latest additions to your White Sox. That's next on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's home for sports. On app. The ESPN Chicago app. In HD. FM 100.3 HD2. And of course on AM. ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. In 2024, located on the 200 level behind home plate, the Guaranteed Rate Club offers all-inclusive food and beverage, in-seat service, and complimentary parking. Plans start at 20 games. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash GRC or call or text 312-674-1000. Talking White Sox here on White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. Jack McGrath is our producer and I think we, uh, I think we cracked the mystery of why Dylan Cease is trending on Twitter. Did you do the legwork on this, Jack? I appreciate you, my man. It's a good combination of two things. One, it is Braves fans upset that they wound up with Chris Sale and not Dylan Cease. And on okay. the other hand, it's Red Sox fans who now want Dylan Cease to replace Chris Sale. And then every once in a while, sprinkled in there, an occasional Cubs or Yankees or even a Dodgers fan who also want Dylan Cease as he's one of the few few now that there's fewer available starting pitchers on the market see that's appreciate that man it's interesting to me too right i mean that's that's the nature of a baseball offseason you've got a fan base who acquires uh let's see seven time all-star and world series champion and chris sales sure he's 34 35 and he's, he's battled injuries and whatnot uh but now they're angry and want dylan cease instead and the red sox just picked up what I would imagine is going to be your starting second baseman in Vaughn Grissom, who needs a little work to get back to you know, his rookie season and whatnot, but that solves, you would think, a big roster problem for them, and they're on to the next thing. They want Dylan Cease right away. I, I love the hot stove season, my man. It's just good stuff. I think it's it's probably like top five in in what I like to kind of watch for, in a, like the non-baseball storylines of things, right? But it's you know it's the trade deadline for me number one, and then I don't know hot stuff's probably in that top five. But it's fun when it gets cooking, and we've certainly got it moving this afternoon. the uh, The White Sox made a move recently here that's going to be, I hope, very impactful. Not only for the pitchers that we've talked about in the first half hour of sh- of the show, uh, but also for the catching depth that is in the White Sox organization now. The White Sox ended last season with Corey Lee and Carlos Perez and Yasmani Grandal as kind of the catching trio um, to end the year. Yasmani Grandal is is a free agent. Carlos Perez, oh, I should note, I guess among the roster moves, um, the White Sox did have to free up some 40-man, um, 40-man spots. And Carlos Perez, the catcher, was designated for assignment off the 40-man roster to make room for Chris Flexen. And the, when the White Sox signed... Um, Tim Hill, the lefty, the uh, the roster move there was to designate Declan Cronin for assignment there as well. So uh, that's something that's a little bit different there too. Uh, or I shouldn't say a little bit different. That's something that has 
Mm, moved moved some guys that were fairly interesting and and parts of important depth for the White Sox even as the roster was kind of you know pulled away and pulled away here uh, through the trade deadline that would have to pass through waivers in order to stay part of the in order to stay part of the mix for the White Sox and and Cronin actually was posted in um in a, in an online video working with um I think it's called it's like a driveline like um, organization where you kind of rebuild you know velocity and stuff like that work on stuff kind of one of those high tech pitching labs and for the life of me tread it's tread athletics that's the one that Declan Cronin had been working with um, and employed by as he was kind of making it from um, from the minors into the majors where the stuff had really jumped up for him. So hopefully the White Sox were able to sneak him through. I really like talking to him. He was a guest on White Sox Weekly a couple of times um, and really seemed to have a good head for pitching uh, as he came back from being like a 36th-round draft pick uh, to push into the big leagues. Now, on to Martin Maldonado. Uh, that deal was signed. John Heyman had it first of the New York Post, and Maldonado gets a two-year deal with a vesting option for 2025. It's earned. Uh, it's worth, rather, Four mil, uh, according to Mark Feinsand, first, and the White Sox have uh, since put that out, too. Maldonado has been one of those guys for years, right? You look back to those Houston Astros teams who had uh, who are still in the midst of a, a dominant run in the AL West and a team, an organization that just kind of continues to push into uh, elite territory, regardless of how that roster looks to start the season, or regardless of the injuries that they've had to deal with and Jose Altuve and everything else. And yeah, the Astros conversation always comes with the sign-stealing controversy, the sign-stealing issues, the, the this cheating scandal um, that, that probably helped some, maybe a little, uh, push them into World Series contention and, and get that title. It, it, it has to be said. Maldonado, though is a veteran catcher, a, a longtime guy. Uh, Scott Merkin, MLB.com, tweeted out these stats. In terms of active games or active defensive games as a catcher, Salvador Perez with 1,200. Martin Maldonado next up, 1,060. Active leaders in innings caught, Salvador Perez, 10,000 and two-thirds. JT Real Muto with nearly 9,000. And then Martin Maldonado with a little over 8,500 career innings caught. Now, the other thing, too, that Maldonado has uh, got a reputation for is being a fantastic, I mean, top-tier clubhouse presence, which matters, especially when you hear or really remember the conversation that both Pedro Grifol and former White Sox general manager Rick Hahn had about the clubhouse itself, um, looking to grab, I, I think, more leadership out of particular players and a bit more cohesiveness out of the 26 men in the clubhouse. Martin Maldonado is one of those guys in the bigs that exists on a roster, maybe even despite of some of the production numbers that he's put up over the last few years, especially offensively because of his ability in a clubhouse to be able to provide that kind of leadership and that kind of, you know, that kind of feeling in a clubhouse. Those things we've found out here over the last few years may be more important than we report on at the time of individual signings. The offense just isn't going to be there with Maldonado. He can run into some. There's some power when he squares it up. 
but that's not happened a whole lot recently. Last year, the defensive numbers took a bit of a dive as well, but up and down the roster, including a future Hall of Famer and Dusty Baker, will tell you that the game calling and, and the, the mind meld that he's got with his pitchers is otherworldly, is the kind of stuff that leads to better and better and better building performances by those pitchers. Now, the framing numbers last year, you know, I mentioned that they took a bit of a hit. It was a minus one in terms of framing. You like to be, uh, you know, obviously in positive territory. I, I don't mind if you're right around average or so if you've got the rest of your ball game working. Um, but they did take a significant turn from 2022. You hope it's just kind of a one-year thing. Maybe there's something physical he's dealing with that kept him from reaching the top of his game defensively. You know, who knows? The The word coming from... Um, a lot of writers in Houston uh, lead you to believe that Maldonado, even though he's you know 37, 38, is a guy that's capable of bouncing back in, in a pretty real way defensively. The, the big thing here is that Pedro Grifol, a former catcher himself through the minor leagues, um, is a guy that, you know, that, that Martin Maldonado has been identified as the kind of guy that you can have as the, the rock of the organization here. We've talked about a trend in some of these White Sox signings here that they are players that make the way, that, that kind of pave the way for the next group, right? You could be a good team with Martin Maldonado on your roster. Just ask the Houston Astros. you got to be a pretty deep team, though, to kind of deal with the offensive uh, issues that are going to come with the catching position between both him and Max Stassi. What you know Maldonado's going to get you, though, is positive improvement from your pitching staff. And that's something that a guy like Eric Fetty could be helped by, that Jared Schuster can be helped by, that Nick Nestrini can be helped by, that Davis Martin, hopefully when he returns, can be helped by, that Jake Eater can be helped by if he makes the major leagues as well uh, in, in the 2024 season. So, you know, that's that's the, the top end. That's the look. That's the ask for Martin Maldonado. And it's something that he's familiar with with doing in that Astros roster. You, you take a look at um, some of the young pitchers that they've brought up over the last couple of years, You know those rotations kind of growing into what they are now. He's had to shepherd some of those guys along the way. Oh, and also, he's had to take young catchers like Yiner Diaz um, up into the bigs and, and kind of work with them as well. I, I think his impact, potential impact, even though it looks now like it'll be Maldonado and Stassi as the two guys on that roster, um, the two catchers on that roster, you know, a guy like Corey Lee and Edgar Caro, I would imagine, spend a whole lot of time with Maldonado and Stassi in spring training and are able to grow their own games by being around such a veteran guy, a guy who knows how to get it done, and a guy who has been more than willing in the past to work with young catchers uh, and get them to where Martin Maldonado has been defensively in this game. And, and of course, the White Sox will you know, work to get Edgar Caro and Corey Lee all the at-bats they can in the minors in 2024. Caro probably, I would guess, double-A. You're probably your starting double-A catcher in Birmingham. And and the way it looks now, um, Corey Lee, probably that third catcher on the depth chart, 
getting some work in Charlotte. Uh, I mentioned earlier in the show that the uh, the, the conversation that the Cincinnati uh, newspaper had had uh, about the conversation between Dylan Cease and others. Uh, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. Bruce Levine had that first uh, over at the score. A good guy, a fine reporter, uh, and an intrepid one at that. And I, I, I hate that I got the attribution wrong, but scrolling through as many tabs as I was, I think I just skipped a bit in the article I'd been reading. That was the one in particular particular we'd been talking about earlier in the show that had the, the the White Sox asking for Rhett Lauder and Chase Petty and Edwin Arroyo and Connor Phillips and maybe even more. Um, and the Cincinnati paper, the Inquirer, was kind of uh, parsing through that particular report from Bruce as opposed to breaking it itself. I, uh, I apologize for the error. Want to get it right often as we possibly can. Uh, we got more to talk about when we come back. Tim Hill signed with the White Sox, part of uh, the new reliever depth, and a, and a lot more names signed to new clubs. We'll talk about how that may or may not impact the White Sox in their free agent pursuits here over the next little uh, next couple of weeks as we head into 2024. I'm Connor McKnight. You got White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. We are talking White Sox. This is White Sox Weekly. If you missed the show, we put the podcast up on the ESPN Chicago app. So listen on your time. White, White Sox, Sox Weekly. Weekly. ESPN Chicago. Chicago's home for sports. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. We are closing it up here. Our final show of 2023. Everybody's gearing up for a happy and safe new year. It's coming up in just, I mean, a couple hours, really, when you think about it. You can give the gift of White Sox baseball with a holiday flex pack starting at just $49. Get six ticket vouchers, redeemable for more than 60 games throughout the 2024 season. Plus, get early access to opening day tickets. Learn more at WhiteSox.com slash holiday packs kind of working our way through the headlines of the day and some big ones for sure we talked about the chris sale trade he's headed from boston to atlanta with vaughn grissom and a whole bunch of cash heading back the other way oh pardon boston sending a whole lot of cash to the braves in order to cover some of that number um also we're talking about the signings the White Sox have made over the last week. I mean, last White Sox Weekly, we're just kind of, you know, kicking it around the roster, talking about Pakota projections and things like that. And then the White Sox went out and signed Chris Flexen yesterday, Martin Maldonado, I think, on Monday, and then Tim Hill in the middle of the week as well. We talked about two of those three, and Tim Hill is the last one on our docket to get to. Tim Hill spent the last four years with the San Diego Padres. They picked him up from the Royals just prior to 2020. If you're thinking, okay, who was that deal for? It was probably a you know it was a fun hitter, hit the ball hard when he did hit. Franchi Cordero was the name, and if that brings your memories around, then you are uh, then you're then you've, you've got a, a pretty interesting taste in hitting prospects with Franchi Cordero. He was actually exciting for a lot of different prospect beatniks uh, like myself. So what Hill is is the, a, a pretty much a sidewinder. It throws from a drop-down angle. I'm watching some film of Tim Hill throw on YouTube right now. Uh, lefty reliever, helps fill the void left by Aaron Bummer when he was sent to the Atlanta Braves for Soroka and Schuster and, and more and more and more, right, a whole bunch of dudes. Works down and works up in the zone pretty well, according to the 2022 highlights I'm watching. And, and if I remember correctly, I was in, in San Diego toward the end of the 22 season 
when the White Sox were playing the Padres, called a couple of games there, and, and remember Hill pitching, I think, once in that series, and it's you know, kind of fun, draws the ball back really far, hides it well, almost behind his back shoulder uh, before delivering the home plate, works from the first base side, not extreme first base side, though, um, and can ride a fastball at 91, 92, 93 toward the top of the zone, get swings and misses, because the rest of the stuff, the slider in particular, can really drop off the table. Hills uh, punched out nearly 25% of opponents early on, just 13 strikeouts, 13% of strikeouts in batters faced over the last two years. The hard hit contact rate has jumped up some as well, and that's kind of been the reason that the White Sox, uh, rather that the Padres have moved on, and the White Sox picked him up as a bit of a reclamation project. Just a bit, though. It's a one-year, $1.8 million contract that was first reported by Jeff Pass and ESPN Sports. And again, we've got an arm with one elite with with one elite pitch, the slider at the top of his uh, at the top of his performance, and a pairing, I think, with Brian Bannister, the rest of the White Sox pitching infrastructure, and Martin Maldonado, who we talked about a bit in the last segment, that will hopefully work to kind of you know reclaim that slider for Tim Hill. I think what what will be interesting to watch, and we've seen this with White Sox lefties in the past, Garrett Crochet notwithstanding is a penchant for dealing to soft contact, to ground balls in particular, and maybe kind of sacrificing some of the strikeout rate on the way, right? Aaron Bummer could rack up strikeouts and definitely got a lot of ground balls, but the walk rate, Bummer's walk rate always got to him. Um, It seemed to always get to him in in big-time situations. For Tim Hill, it's, I hope, a, a little bit different. You look at the walk numbers for the lefty Hill, the new member of the White Sox bullpen here, and they're they're always, or at least in almost every season, save for 2021, below something like three per nine. You want a percentage uh, number for that, a walk rate. It's 6.9% last year, seven in 2022, nine in 2021. That's a career high, and he had one of his better seasons with that 9% walk rate in 2021 with the Padres. Uh, not terrific, not, not perfect or anything like that, but, but a better season, um, 2022 being his outstanding year out of the San Diego Padres bullpen. So uh, hopefully a guy that the White Sox were able to you know trust with big-time lefty bats. you, know, you got to face the three-batter minimum, of course. Um, but Tim Hill added to that White Sox bullpen, which is you know looking to add, I would imagine, one, two, maybe even three more veteran arms, guys who have been there before, not necessarily to add them all into the opening day mix, but as we saw last season, listen, as you see every year, I talk about it when we'll get to spring training. When you talk about a starting rotation, I don't really care who your top five are. Certainly it matters. But I'm interested in your top eight, top nine pitchers. And when you talk about the bullpen, I'm going 13, 15, even 16 deep because it takes that kind of depth to get to a big league, get through a big league year, and Tim Hill uh, is a good step in that direction of assembling that kind of depth. You hear the music? That means we got to run. A lot of White Sox news to recap in this show, and we'll hit some of it again next week as well. Big thanks to Jack McGrath, our producer, and we will talk to you next week for more White Sox Weekly right here on ESPN 1000. Have a happy new year.